We have more information at our fingertips than any people in the history of the world. But it is also harder than ever to know what's true and what's not, especially when foreigners are trying to influence us with uh, quote-unquote fake news. But it's also particularly hard to understand the context or the meaning of events. So any of us can Google right now on our phones Iran shooting down a drone last night uh, in, the, in the Persian Gulf. But what does it mean? What are they after? Where are we headed with this? Uh, context is really, really hard for us to, to understand and to put current events into. So I want to go where, where Ralph was and, and start with a little context that begins at D-Day. Because in many ways, when it comes to US national security, I think World War II was the pivotal event for the United States uh, of America. Uh, if, if you think about before World War II, we had tended to be isolationist. We didn't really want to get involved in other people's quarrels. Uh, we got drug into World War I, but then we came right home. We dismantled our military. We refused to join the League of Nations. Uh, we were going to let Europe stew in its own juices. We didn't do anything what was happening in Asia, and yet we got drug into it again. The devastation of World War II, where 120 million people were killed, caused us to do something that was very much against our nature, and that was to make two crucial decisions. One was we were going to stay engaged in the world, uh, so we joined the UN, the World Bank, the IMF, all these things, and we were going to keep the strongest military in the world. And so we helped create NATO. We made alliances. We created the Department of Defense, the Central Intelligence Agency, all of these things that were very much against our nature. And so we decided that we would have to stay involved and stay strong in order to prevent a third world war. And if you step back and look by however you want to measure human progress, whether it's life expectancy, uh, economic development, uh, whether, how many people live in democracies, women being able to vote, number of people who die in wars. I can show you charts that show the last 75 years with American leadership has been the best period in human history. Now there's some ups and downs and nothing's been perfect. You know, we've had Vietnam, we've had Korea, we've had, right now we've had a slight downturn in life expectancy because of opioids. But if you look at the broader scope, with our, those two decisions that we made, this has been the best time for us and for the rest of the world that has ever existed. Now, again, I'm talking bigger context. What's happening now in the world is that a number of folks don't like the fact that we're the ones who are setting the standard. So Russia, China are contesting US leadership in the world. Iran and North Korea are trying to look for opportunities where they can exploit what they see as an American withdrawal and, and pursue their agenda. Terrorists obviously want to roll back the clock several hundred years. And so we are being tested, whether it is China, whether it's what's happening in the Persian Gulf right now or wherever, what's being tested is American leadership that we have, uh, have, have have led or have, have developed over the last 75 years. 
What's, more, what's even more interesting and what really relates to everybody in this room is it's not just the Russians, the Chinese, and the terrorists that are testing, or that are disputing our leadership. It is being debated in both political parties here at home right now. And to me, that's the most significant thing in national security. It's, Republic, it's the internal Republican and Democrat debates about whether we ought to continue to be engaged in the world and whether we ought to keep the strong military. That's that because I don't worry about what anybody else is going to do to us. What I worry about is what we do to ourselves. And to me, that's the most interesting thing. I don't care whether you're in high tech, pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, whatever industry you are in, a part of, or represent, you have a tremendous stake in how this debate comes out because the world will be very different and the quality of life for Americans, not to mention people in other parts of the world, will be very different if, say, the Chinese are the ones who set the standard versus uh, the United States. Uh, I've, I've got a, a number of examples, of one of which, though, is you all know about the Chinese uh, system of monitoring, where they have cameras everywhere, they monitor everything you do online, what you buy, who you talk to, whether you criticize the government, and you get points if you do what the government wants you to, and you lose points if you don't. Those points determine what job you get, where you can live, where you go, whether you can go to the head of the line at the emergency room, uh, whether you can travel out of the country. Now, some people will say, well, just let them do whatever they want to. Well, they have already exported parts of this system to 16 different countries. And so we saw, back to World War II, in the 1930s, once authoritarianism starts to spread, it's really hard to stop. If you look at uh, what China is trying to do, uh, it will spread, and, and again, it goes to who sets the standard, who sets the mark, who sets the rules for what the rest of the world uh, follows. There's a lot at stake. Uh, American military hard power is the essential bedrock for what we've done the last 75 years. And, and we are being tested. The key deal is the decision we make as the American people in both political parties. Very good. Well, it's an honor to uh, be uh, sitting here with Mac. He is quite the uh, respected student of history and uh, the military. I will tell my Nancy Pelosi story. I'm in, uh, we're in Paris. Uh, after Normandy uh, ceremony, and I, I was at the gift shop at the Dorsey Museum, and I said, hey, I need a female perspective. What better person than, you know, the Speaker of the House? So I, what do you think about these earrings? She said, well, they're nice, but they're very uh, suitable for re-gifting. <laughs> so I said, thank you for that. <laughs> I didn't buy them, saved, <laughs> saved myself some money and probably some uh, grief back home. Uh, she's actually quite a funny person and uh, I was honored to have her attend my uh, ceremony along with Mac and uh, John Cornyn and uh, John Miller from NYPD who spoke and um, kind of going back over the last uh, you know, six years as uh, chairman, um, thinking about <clears throat> you know where we were back then and where we are today. Um, I'm going into a different realm. Mac talked a lot about hard power. Um, what I deal with is, is soft power at the State Department. If the diplomats fail, then the military gets engaged. 
Military is always a last resort. The diplomats are always the first chance to work things out uh, before they get worse. <clears throat> I saw, when I first became chairman of Homeland Security, uh, one of the highest terror threats we've ever faced. Uh, Boston bombing happened uh, about, about a month or two into my watch. Um, and then one after the other. <clears throat> Foreign fighters going over, overseas. Then they, they found the internet. Uh, Junaid Hussein, uh, Cafe Adaraka, started sending internet missives to radicalize, to kill. <clears throat> it still continues today. However, I think we've been very <clears throat> successful this administration. <clears throat> and I called upon the previous administration. I think Max, he's correct. When we lead as a superpower, and we became a superpower, World War II, when we lead as a superpower, um, good things happen. When we retreat, when we, when we retreated out of Iraq, we created ISIS. And ISIS reared its ugly head, then it started planning external operations to kill Americans in the United States. I remember getting threat briefings in 2015, 2016, that were absolutely terrifying. And he got these probably as well, about plots, aviation, weapons of mass destruction, biological, all sorts of plots to not just kill people in Europe, but in the United States as well. Now with the, the collapse of the caliphate, they don't have that governed territory uh, out of which to kill. They are in Libya. They are in now what's called the Sahel region of Africa, which the Department of Defense will tell you is probably one of the most dangerous spots now and probably will be the next uh, possible caliphate. Anytime you have destabilization, of nations and instability, not lack of governance and corruption, you have extremism. And those are the elements we're trying to fight. Lindsey Graham and I introduced the Global Fragility Act, uh, went to Africa to see what can we do, DOD, state, USAID, to prevent. We're very good at defending the nation. I would argue we stopped about 95% of those terror plots I was talking about. The 5% you know about. We do a very good job with our military going in and killing people. We don't do such a great job at the pre prevention side. If we could prevent it in the first place, we don't have to deal with it long term. So, you know, as a son of a World War II D-Day veteran, my dad was a bombardier on a B-17, part of the air campaign. He always said I was in the largest bombing mission in U.S. history. When I looked up his squadron, of course, he passed away. They didn't talk about it a lot. They didn't brag. They had humility. They have values that they handed down to my generation. I try to hand it down to my kids. Uh, they handed down a better America to the next generation of Americans. I look at some of these politicians that they're so arrogant and so boastful and bragging and no humility. That's not them. That was not that generation. They didn't really talk about it a whole lot. We saw about 60 of them in a tent at Normandy that were talking about it because they knew they were getting ready to die and they wanted their stories to be heard. And I would argue that at the 80th anniversary, there are going to be very few of them left, but we cannot forget the lessons that they taught the next generation. Um, and I'm very proud of what they achieved. You mentioned the GI Bill. My dad was the first uh, member of my family to go to Congress, I mean, to college, uh, thanks to the GI Bill. I don't think I'd be serving in the Congress today if it wasn't the example 
and the inspiration he taught me about public service. That it's important to serve. Honor, duty, country, service to your country. And I, of course, I'm serving in my own uh, way, my own capacity. But he's always been my personal hero and will inspire me till the day that I die. So with that, thanks uh, so much for having me. That was terrific. Thank you both for your insights. I've got three questions, then please get Jim's attention and we'll, uh, or I think we go up to, can we go up to nine? Just make sure we're on time here first. So first of all, question for you. You both came in to Congress when we were in the majority. You obviously, Mr. Thornberry, when we first took it, and McCall, you came in here, I think, the last couple of years before it turned over. And you were chairman while in the majority. Can you give us uh, both of a sense of what is it like? Hopefully partisanship ends at the water's edge, but it doesn't always. Uh, maybe, Mr. Thornberry, you can start it. You know, you do defense authorizations. They've traditionally been bipartisan. What are the dynamics into this new year and the leadership and your relationship with uh, Chair Adam Smith? And then maybe, Mr. McCall, you have a very good relationship with Elliot Engel. You did a great job uh, with your ranking member at the time on Homeland. Where are they, where is their common ground and where, are their, where is there going to be fights that are going to be very, very hard to uh, overcome? I worry that the uh, reflexive uh, uh, partisan politicization of everything is seeping inevitably into national security and foreign policy issues. Uh, it, and, it, and frankly, it's hard, hard to prevent. So uh, just take an example from today. Uh, everybody's focused on Iran. There, we have had a number of briefings about Iran, what they're doing. Uh, and I'll exaggerate slightly, but, but for some of my Democratic colleagues, it's don't bore me with the facts, Trump is making this up. Uh, and, and so if we get to a point where we can't objectively look at the facts and come and together have an appropriate response, then uh, adversaries will certainly seek to take advantage of, of that situation. Uh, so I, I don't know, I worry about where this is headed. The remarkable thing about the 75 year uh, uh, that I was, I was talking about is that it was supported by both parties. You had presidents of both parties, you had uh, uh, congresses of both parties, you know, you had some people like McGovern that were not supportive of this stay strong and stay engaged sort of attitude, but they were on the fringes. But the mainstream of both parties supported that. Uh, but, but things are changing politically uh, here at home uh, where it is much more reflexive if he's for it, I'm against it, and vice versa. And, and so it is unquestionably a challenge when it comes to national security and foreign policy to stand up to those trends. Yeah, and I agree with Mac. I, I think uh, his committee and mine, foreign affairs is, a, I, I like history, so I studied the committee. It's the second oldest committee in the Congress and the first chairman was Benjamin Franklin. Just to give you some, sort of, not any comparison there. <laughs> it's funny and interesting from a historical perspective, but, um, um, they've always, national security committees have always been bipartisan. You don't bring in partisan politics, ends at the water's edge. That's Elliot Engel's favorite line. I think I'm very blessed to have a chairman, if I have to be a ranking member, uh, that is uh, very uh, conscious of trying to protect the integrity of the institution, of being uh, bipartisan, 
um, and being for the country first. Um, I can't say that about all the members on the committee. I've got mine, he's got his. And we have to, but it's important to have that relationship. We've had several articles saying it's the most bipartisan committee on the Hill. I don't know what's going to happen with the NDAA. It's always been bipartisan. Uh, we're going to have a State Department authorization bill for the first time since 2002 uh, that may not have votes on, may lose votes on both sides of the aisle. But it's important that we do it, just like I reauthorized DHS for the first time ever. Um, we have certain, you know, a lot of it boils down to politics with the president. Um, but when it comes to Iran, when it comes to about 95% of the issues, I say Elliot and I are in agreement. He's very anti-Iran. He voted against the JCPOA, by the way. He's very pro-Israel. We're very pro-Ukraine against Russia. We introduced a bill to arm, lethally arm Ukraine against Russia. Uh, we're, very, we're very frightened with the Chinese. We were talking about that at the table, where the Chinese are going. Uh, and we're supportive of democracy in Venezuela. So when you look at a lot of the core issues, it's just really, really how to get there. There are some moments of disagreement when, you know, my committee does the AUMF, and that's going to be a big issue. This Congress is authorized use of military force. If we go into Venezuela or Iran, you know, Congress has Article One responsibilities under the Constitution, and we really haven't exercised those very often. There was a um, language in the DOD appropriations bill <clears throat> to repeal the 2001 AUMF. I filed an amendment to strike that language and it got ruled out of order. What does that say? That says that the majority thinks that it's okay to say that all of our global counterterrorism operations are unauthorized by Congress if this thing, when this thing passes and it has. So um, there are going to be areas of disagreement. The other one is the, the weapon sales to Saudi. Um, I think it was a um, policy, the right call, but uh, circumventing Congress. I think you're going to see Congress starting to assert its own authority under Article 2 of the Constitution now as well. But at the end of the day, I have great hope from my committee because I think the two, two guys at, at the leadership position at the table want to work together uh, to get good things done for the country, and I think that's where most Americans are as well. You just, you just touched on the uh, topic I was going to bring up next, and that is the intersection of trade and national security. Obviously, Article One is Congress, and two is the executive branch, uh, but the president has some authority in trade, and that's caused a great deal of concern uh, amongst a lot of members. Uh, you've got things like, like you said, the, 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 the arms sales issues, uh, which you're dealing with at the Foreign Affairs Committee, issues like Huawei and other decisions like that then suddenly infect the bills that you're moving through committee. You've also got the president using Section 232 that says automobiles are a national security issue or steel and aluminum. So a lot of those things are hitting your colleagues and, and hitting your committee. And obviously you have the president is of your party, but you have to navigate that very carefully. Can you give us some insight about how you think that should be navigated and you know, uh, how much of that is causing concern among your colleagues? Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I, I, look, I, I, I prosecuted the <clears throat> Johnny Chung case. That, uh, they, were, uh, they liked Clinton's technology transfer policies of satellites and such, and China Aerospace was grooming him, introduced him to the director of Chinese intelligence, and put 
money in his Hong Kong bank account to put in the Clinton campaign. And I was, I was a young prosecutor at that time. It was a fascinating case. Uh, but this has been going on for a long time, influencing elections, but also trying to steal technology. And the Chinese have been, I think, ripping us off for uh, three decades. Um, the intellectual property theft is, is huge, the tech transfers. Why create when you can steal? Culturally, it doesn't mean anything. Intellectual property doesn't mean anything. Uh, we're starting to lose, uh, we, the trade deficit's enormous, and I think that's a legitimate discussion. This is the first president to try to take China on with trade. I hope it gets wrapped up soon, because Ralph, you know, it hurts our technology companies, it hurts our agriculture. It's a short-term pain for ho hopefully long-term Okay, so I hope it gets resolved soon, but when I look at the technology side, we were talking about this, whether it's artificial intelligence, quantum computing, cyber, or 5G, when the intelligence community tells us that, you know what, we're losing globally in the 5G war, that concerns me, because once they put their 5G in, plant it on the ground, they control that country. They control that data, and they're everywhere. Probably 60% of the world, they are there. They're in the Panama Canal. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt built that. Carter gave it back. Now the Chinese own it. Um, one Belt, One Road initiative. Over-leveraging, debt traps, taking over the port of Sri Lanka and Djibouti. This is real stuff. China, as the Secretary told me, is the number one threat to the United States. And we got to wake up. It's been a slow creep. But they are, I think, our number one threat now. And I... I spoke at, at Council on Foreign Relations with Elliot in New York last weekend, and it's one thing to say how bad China is, we can say that all day long, but you know what? We have to learn how to compete with them, because if we can't compete, particularly in the technology side, and if we're losing, um, then that's, that's our fault. We have to learn how to compete better with China. I, one of the remarkable things uh, about China is that they don't just use a whole-of-government approach. They have a whole-of-nation approach. So they use every tool that can be imagined, and, and they use it uh, centrally directed and effectively. We have trouble getting the State Department to talk to the Defense Department. And, and, and certainly economic tools, trade, and, and the sort of investments, uh, the, the sorts of things, Michael is talking about it are, are things that the, the Chinese are using to advantage themselves uh, all around the world. And, and it, is, it presents a real challenge for us to, to match it. Um, and, and, and we don't have our act together uh, in, in doing so yet. And, and, and as he was saying, when it comes to trade and specifically, uh, there, there is domestic pain that goes with it. The biggest industry in my district is agriculture. So you see low cattle prices and a whole variety of things. Uh, you know, my suggestion is if, if it may be the wise thing, and I think it probably is, in the long run, to have this confrontation with China now, but don't make an enemy of the whole rest of the world at the same time while you're doing it. Uh, get some other trade deals going. To, to part to relieve the domestic pressure, but in part to have a, a more unified approach when it comes to the Chinese and trying to correct their, uh, their, their behavior. Now, back to where you started, uh, I, I do think that there is a lot of support on both sides of the aisle for Congress stepping up 
and playing the role that the Constitution envisions us to play. Uh, but that means that we're going to have to take some tough votes. And, and frankly, it's easier for a lot of members just to say, uh, just to defer and say, okay, the president decided it, I disagree, but that's what he decided. It's harder for us to take a vote on a trade issue, on a AUMF issue or something. And, and so partly it's, it's political cowardice that has resulted in Congress losing some of the authority that the Founding Fathers envisioned. And it's only going to be political courage that allows us to reclaim some of that uh, territory. But I think it's important we do so. Uh, 